Psalm 127, verse 1, whoops, says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. We've been talking about this particular verse and allowing the Lord to build our home, to build our family. Uh, and the way that we learn how to do that is by uh, digging deep, building our house upon that foundation that is the rock that is Jesus Christ. By hearing and doing what Jesus has to say, particularly as it pertains to the family as we've been studying this week. Again, we've been talking about refocusing on family. Think of it like a set of binoculars. Jerry talked about how I've used a different illustration. Sean and I have worked hard at that, making sure we have a different illustration. But think of it like binoculars. When you look through binoculars at something, you focus in on that particular thing because it's at a certain distance and it's kind of far away. So you want to zero in on that, so you focus on that. Then you move and you switch to something else that may be over here, and it's at a different distance. So you have to refocus that lens so that you can see what it is over there. Sometimes in our family, we've got to do that. We've got to look over here and try to see what's coming and what's going on, and look over here and see what's going on and what's coming. So we refocus every time so we know what's coming and what dangers are approaching and what approach we need to take towards certain things. And this morning, I would like to think about the approach that we need to take towards the assembly of the church as it pertains to our family and where we keep our family assembling with the church. To do that, we're going to talk about a passage to, to introduce this in Romans chapter 13. So if you would, you might turn in your Bibles if you have them with you. If you don't have a Bible, there is one in the pew in front of you. I encourage you to turn to Romans chapter 13. This passage will be the only one that's not on the screen. But Romans chapter 13, will begin there in verse number uh, 1. And we'll read through verse 7. There it says, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil wilt thou then not be afraid of the power. Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to do to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, ye must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For, for this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to... All their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. So in this, he's talking about the powers that are in place, that he's talking about the government. Interesting that he's talking about Rome at this time, who was occupying uh, much of the world and the type of evils that they were doing, particularly against Christians. And he says, render them, do what is due. Give them their taxes, give them, you know, all these things. They're there for a reason. They're there to execute wrath on, and judgment on those who go against 
the laws of the land. And so they're there for a purpose and for a reason. And that's the idea. And he says, the idea of this is that God has placed them in authority, therefore submit to that authority. Honor to whom honor. He says in verse 7, render honor to whom honor was already given. See, God gave them the honor, therefore we honor and respect God and honor them in doing so. And so we're not particularly going to talk about the government, but different aspects in which God has placed authority over mankind and how we should respect that authority and honor to whom honor was already given by God. So I hope that kind of sets the stage for what we're going to do. First of all, we're going to look at that God has placed Jesus as the authority over the church universal. And what I mean by church universal is there is a church that's here in this location. I normally attend a church in Tulsa that's a part of the universal church just as much as this one. There are churches in Nigeria, India, Belize, all over the world. There are different churches. All of them are under the umbrella of the headship of Jesus Christ. He is the authority. We know that from Ephesians chapter, we're going to look at the authority and the honor. But Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 22 is this authority that has been given by God. And hath put all things under his feet, that being Christ, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. So we know that God has given the authority to Jesus Christ to be the head of the church. Matthew 28 and verse number 18, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So he has the authority over the church. He is the head of the church. And so we look at that and does God suggest to us honor to whom honor was given? Honor was given to him in that he is the head of the church. Therefore, we should respect and honor that authority, as we see in Revelation 5 and verse 12, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. See, because God has placed him in authority, we should respect that authority. We should honor that authority. He's worthy to be praised. He's worthy to of that honor. And so we ought to respect that as a church by submitting to his headship. We also see <clears throat> that authority was given to the local church. So each congregation should have a body of men called elders. A presbytery is the body. Elders, pastors, shepherds, bishops, overseers, all the same office. They all mean the same thing, but God has given them authority over the local church. Now, that is the extent. As you can see within the illustration, we're going to get smaller as we go because Christ is the head over all the church, over the universal church, but within the local body, God has given authority to the elders. And we see that in 1 Peter chapter 5, and verse 1 and 2. The elders which are among you I exhort who am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. So we see all these different terms uh, that are being used for elder, pastor, shepherd, overseer, bishop, because he says the elders I exhort. He says to them to be 
uh, to feed the flock, that's shepherd or pastor. And he says, taking the oversight, that's bishop or overseer. So all three about the same office. But he tells them, you take the oversight. You are responsible to feed. So God gives the elders the authority over the local congregation to do what needs to be done to lead or to feed that flock. So, in response to that authority that's been given to them, we should honor them by submitting. 1 Timothy 5 and verse 17, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. <clears throat> Those that, that uh, rule well, we should honor with double honor. We should give them our submission. We should submit to them. There are things that we may not understand that are going on. Matter of fact, I almost guarantee there are things you don't understand that are going on. Just submit. Trust your elders. God put them in that position of authority because the church needs leadership. The church needs people who will stand up and lead the congregation, feed them, taking the oversight, taking the burden of responsibility. Don't make it harder on them by not submitting. Make it easier by giving them the honor that is due them. Then inside, outside, inside of that, we have the family relationship as we get a little bit smaller. And God has placed authority even in the home of authority or of that relationship. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, as well as Ephesians 6 and verse 4, we see the husband and the father. Ephesians 5, 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. We talked about this quite a bit and how Jesus was a servant leader, and that's what husbands are called to be as a servant leader because God has given the man, the husband in the home, that responsibility, that burden of leadership as he has been given the head. He is to be the head of the wife. Ephesians 6 and verse number 4, You fathers provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The charge of raising children is given to the husband, to the father. He is responsible to ensure that those children are being raised in the nurture and the discipline or the training of the Lord. So God has given them that authority, and so in response to that, we should honor that authority. Ephesians 5 and verse 22, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Verse 33, the husband is to, to love the wife. The wife is to respect or reverence her husband. So the honor has been placed on him in that he is the head of the home. And the wife is to honor that position as God has given it to him by submitting to him. As well as Ephesians 6 and verse 2 says, Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. So children are to honor father and mother as they respect that leadership in the home. So honor to whom honor. And we see these different realms uh, within this, uh, how this is supposed to work. Now, want to look at how that works in the assembly of the church. Is what we do going to be consistent with honoring the leadership in which God has put in place. That's what we want to investigate, and we'll get to the family uh, towards the end. But 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 26 through 35, is where we want to get our understanding of how this honor is supposed to work within the assembly. 1 Corinthians 14, 
Beginning in verse 26, how is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at most by three, and that by course, and that one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church, and let him speak to himself and to God. Let the prophets speak two or three, and let the other judge. If anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. For ye may all prophesy, one by one, that all may learn, and all may be comforted. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. So within this passage, we will gain an understanding of how we are to show respect and honor to the God-given authorities that he has already put in place. Are we going to honor that by what we do in the assembly? And we're going to look at that from every realm, every possibility, from Christ down to the, to the Father. In that relationship, are we showing honor by doing these things and how we show honor by doing what it says in 1 Corinthians 14? First of all, verse 26, he says, when you come together. So he's talking about the assembly like we're doing here this morning. When everyone comes together and we are moving towards edification. Now, God is specific about how to do that with singing and prayer and communing and giving and teaching. When we do those things, that's for edification. That's what we're striving for so that we are built up. And he gives us instructions to make sure that we are built up in doing these things. And he says, for you may all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be comforted. So when we're together and one person speaks at a time, all of us can learn, all of us can be comforted. That is the concept that we want to show going forward that that is showing honor to whom honor is due. So let's start with Christ. How does us coming together for the purpose of edification, as we see here, one person speaking at a time, that all may learn and all may, may be, uh, be comforted, how does that honor Christ? Well... Verse 33, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. This honors Christ because Christ is not confusing. If we did something within the assembly that would cause confusion, then that would not be consistent with the nature of Christ. And so if we were gathered all together in a room just like this, and we had one teacher teaching over here, we had another teacher teaching over here, another one back there teaching, another one right there teaching, maybe even one in the middle, and we're all teaching, we're all saying something else. How confusing would that be? We would start trying to listen over here. Well, what's he saying? I want to know what's going on over there. If we could hear anything at all. The next thing you know, this guy's yelling, and that guy's yelling to yell over him, and that guy's yelling to yell over him, and we're all yelling and trying to say Something nobody's learning anything, because that's just confusion. And man fixes the problem in different ways and has all kinds of alternatives to this. 
Let's just follow God's plan because he's not the author of confusion but of peace. And that is a teacher teaches one by one that all may learn and all may be comforted. That is simple. That's peaceful. That's not confusing. So it's consistent with the nature of Christ. And it's showing honor to the one who is the head of the church. Verse 37 of the same passage says, If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. One reason it's honoring to do that is because that's how he said to do it. And really, it's just that simple. If Jesus says to do something a certain way, you know what he expects? For us to do it that certain way. And so we're honoring him by doing it that way. And he says, for you may all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be comforted. So it's an honor to him because we're just following the commandments. And as we just observed in Acts 20 and verse 7, and upon the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them ready to depart on the morrow and continued his speech until midnight. You know, when we are together, that's what part of what communion means. That breaking bread. When we come together in communion to honor Christ, how could that not be honoring to him? That's the intent of it. Is a memorial to him is honoring that good shepherd that laid down his life for his sheep. And so coming together and participating in that is a way to honor Christ, to honor the head. And so honor to whom honor. Then we see the next in line would be the elders. How does this type of a, an arrangement, when we all come together, <clears throat> all to be edified, that we're prophesying one by one or teaching one by one, that all may learn and all may be comforted. How is that honoring to the elders of the local congregation? Verse 29 in that passage says, let the prophet speak two or three and let the other judge. Both the elders in this congregation know exactly what I'm preaching. And they're judging what I'm preaching. And if something needs to be corrected, your elders will correct that. And I encourage that, by the way. They should. Because that's what it means to feed the flock. The responsibility to feed the flock, though given to me sort of at this time, it's not my responsibility. It's theirs. And so they would need to correct that. So they are sitting here judging. Now, if there was a person over here and a person over here, somebody over there, you know, the arrangement we talked about earlier, and they're all saying something, you only have two elders of the congregation. They can't be in every place at all times. Even if you had an elder for each spot, they're not all listening to the same thing. They're not all judging. So they can't hear everything that's going on. So we're honoring the authority that's been given to them when we're all together and somebody teaches one at a time so that all may learn and all may be comforted. Hebrews 10 and verse 21, And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner in some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Within the assembly, when we come together like this that it's talking about, we're encouraging one another, that we are uh, provoking one another to love and the good works, that we're professing our faith, 
that we are drawing near to the high priest, when we are in all together like we are here today, and we're attempting to do that, the elders are, have the oversight to be able to do that, to make sure that we are being stirred up to love and good works, to make sure that we are drawing near to the high priest that is Jesus. So by being here and doing it just this way is an honor to the elders that have been given the honor by Christ. Acts 20 and verse 28, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. With a one-by-one -one arrangement where everybody is together and listening to the same message, the elders can be alert to any wolves that might come in to destroy the flock. When it's chaos, when you've got guys all over, women all over, and they're teaching all kinds of different things, the elders can't be in every place at all times. That's Christ, that's God, that's not the elders. They can't do their job in a, in very well. We make it challenging and difficult when we don't do it the way that God has prescribed for us to do it. So it's honor to whom honor. Because God has put them in the place of leadership, and so we submit to them and we honor them by doing it this way. And then finally, we come down to the family. This arrangement here honors the father, honors the husband that God has given that leadership role to in the home. By coming together and being edified that one by one we're learning from the same person that we can all learn and we can all be comforted. We see it in this passage, verse 34 and 35. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak. But they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. You see, by coming together and all participating together and all hearing the same message, the wife has an opportunity to talk to the husband about what was being taught. It does not take it out of the realm of the home to take care of that. So it puts it in its proper perspective and it helps us to show honor to whom honor. In Deuteronomy 11 and verse 19 says, And ye shall teach them your, chi uh, your children, uh, that's talking about the commandments, speaking of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt write them upon the doorposts of thine house, and upon thy gates, that your days may be multiplied, and the days of your children in the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers to give them, as the days of heaven upon the earth. The primary responsibility to teach your kids is on the, on the husband of the family, on the father of the family. It is not the church's job, and the church is not a substitute, but a supplement to what you're teaching. Which means that as fathers, we can still listen to exactly what is being said, and we can guide our children by what is being said. Making correction where we believe we need to make correction 
talking to them, encouraging them to do what was <clears throat> spoken of in the message. <clears throat> Excuse me. Someone was asking the other night, <clears throat> last night, this is pineapple. It's water, but it's infused with pineapple. The, the idea <clears throat> between the one-by-one one teaching when we're all together is that we can still do our job as fathers. And so we're honoring that by do, having that arrangement. In Joel chapter 2 and verse 15... It says, blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and those that suck the breasts. Let the bridegroom go forth out of, it, uh, of his chamber <clears throat> and the bride out of her closet. This was an important event. And God wanted everyone there. From the aged to the infant, the oldest to youngest. The assembly of the church is no different. He wants the oldest to the youngest. Those that are decrepit old, those that are sucking on the breast, young. That's what he wants of his people because this is a special event. Every assembly of the church is a special event because it is there, as we read earlier, that we draw near to the high priest, that we profess our faith. Where out in the world we profess that faith, we might be knocked down. Here we're encouraged and strengthened. It's important because here is where we provoke love and good works and where we are encouraged. And that's why it's important to do this when we can so that our fire is stoked so that we can refocus and get charged up. Now, this is an honor to the Father. I would like to read to you from a, an article from John Piper and I believe his wife, Noelle Piper. This was written in January 1st, 1995. He says, worshiping together, they said, worshiping together counters the contemporary fragmentation of families. Hectic American life leaves little time for significant togetherness. It is hard to overestimate the good influence of families doing valuable things together week in and week out, year in and year out. Worship is the most valuable thing a human can do. The cumulative effect of 650 worship services spent with mom and dad between the ages of 4 and 17 is incalculable. Now that 650 is rounded down for only one assembly per week. Think what it would do if you multiply that by 3 and then you add in revivals and gospel meetings and such things. The value of having our children in the worship assembly sitting next to us that all may learn and all may be comforted. That's the pert passage. That's what it's teaching us. And so we need to have that mindset. It's been two weeks since I've been home. I'm missing my family. 
at about 3.30 this afternoon. Bye. <laughs> I'm going home. One of the things that I miss the most is hearing her voice sitting next to me when we're singing. Hearing Isaac behind me singing tenor. And right over there, Isaiah's doing the same. Having Noah and Chloe fight to sit between us at church. Knowing that they're with me. I love you all. You're not a very good replacement for that. That's what I miss. It's about being together. You know how Lori and I dated? We went to church. We went and saw two movies. We got lost trying to go see The Lost Lake. That was the extent. Those three days, besides just going to church, that was fantastic. That's where we got to know each other. And so I miss that. You all sing great. I wish I had my family here singing with you. That's an honor to me, to have them here with me. You see, <clears throat> we can teach our kids how to sing the alphabet song. What a value it is to when they learn scripture through singing songs with mom and dad in the assembly. We can teach our kids, now I lay me down to sleep. But then they, it's different. Something special when they sit here and they hear a prayer like Michael led this morning. We can teach them service. But when they get to put that dollar, that quarter, whatever it is that we give them, they get to participate and recognize the value of the assembly. That's probably the only dollar or quarter that they get all week when they're really little, and they have to give it away. But they're learning something about the value of the church because mom and dad are right there with them. Mom and dad are doing the same thing. What we do here is valuable to our children. From the youngest of the young to the oldest of the old, we need to be here showing that honor. And this is an honoring experience to the father in which God has placed that headship in the family. Deuteronomy 31 and verse 11, Now when all Israel has come to appear before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose, thou shalt read this law before all Israel in their hearing. <clears throat> Gather the people together, men and women and children and thy stranger that is within thy gates, that they may hear and that they may learn and fear the Lord your God and observe to do all the words of this law and that their children which have not known anything may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land, whether you go over Jordan to possess it. He says, gather the people. Then he says, who? Everybody. Sounds a lot like Joel 2, doesn't it? Every seven years, they were going to read the book of the law. Have you ever read the book of the law? It's not very exciting. It's hard to get through. There's a lot of do this, don't do that. A lot of ways that they should build the tabernacle. There's all kinds of things that are in that law that's pretty dry reading. I bet lawyers enjoy it a lot. I'm not a lawyer. But every seven years, they were going to get everybody together, old to young, and they were going to read the book of the law. That they may hear it. Who? Who's they? Everybody. That they may hear it, that they may learn it, and fear the Lord your God and observe to do the words 
of the law. That was the intent of getting everybody together every seven years. Then we read that the children, which don't know anything, ignorant, they don't know, they can learn. Your children are learning in the assembly, and they begin to learn at a very, very young age. When Isaiah was just learning to talk, we were in Farmington, and we had J.R. Smith for a meeting, and he gave an excellent sermon on the leper and how Jesus healed the leper. And as he was talking about the leper, he talked about how they would usually have to wear bells around their necks, and they'd have to walk through the streets yelling, unclean, unclean, and Isaiah goes, unclean. He was listening. You didn't think he was listening. He looked like he wasn't paying attention. If you knew Isaiah back then, he was very squirmy. He just kind of moved around all the time. You didn't think he was listening, but he was. He heard exactly what J.R. was talking about. Did that mean he understood it all? No, not exactly. But let's look at another verse. Isaiah 55 and verse 10. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. We've gotten a lot of rain here lately. I know that's an understatement. But that water goes where it needs to go so that it can be refreshing to the plants and to the seeds so that the seeds can grow. It does what it is meant to do. It accomplishes that goal. So when the rain comes, that's what it's intended to do. And some plants will soak up a lot more moisture and a lot more water than other plants will. But the plants that don't soak up as much, they get what they need. They take what they need and they grow as others take what they need, even though it's more so, and they grow. Here's the point. Your children may not be soaking up a whole bunch, but they're getting something. They're hearing it. Then if they have questions, here's the honor unto whom honor, the honor to the father because he is hearing the same thing as children are hearing. And you go home and you talk about it. You talk about it when you're sitting down and when you're rising up. When you're coming and going, it's always in front of your face. Remember the passage that we read about parenting yesterday in Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is how you do it in the assembly, where the church becomes a supplement to what we are trying to do as a family, to build our house with the Lord. So that is how we do that and how we show honor to whom honor is due. So in all of these different scenarios, all of these positions that God has given authority, 1 Corinthians 14, 31, one by one teaching, all are learning, all are being comforted, which means that in every way in the assembly like this, when we do that, we're showing honor to the father, to the husband, to the elders, and to Christ. And so we should do it the way God said to do it, because except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Let's build our house on the rock. Matthew 12 and verse 25, And Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, 
and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. Now, I know Jesus is talking about the casting out of demons, and they said that you are doing this by the power of Beelzebub and not by the power of the Holy Spirit in which he was doing these things. But a principle is laid out here, and I want you to understand this principle. Division never creates unity, and it never will. Unity creates unity. When we're all together unified and doing what God wants us to do, we are giving honor to whom honor, and we are bringing about unity and not division. So honor to whom honor in the family, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, even as you're called, and one hope of your calling. Unity takes work. It doesn't come easy. Let's make it as easy as possible by doing what God wants us to do when we come together and showing honor to him, to the elders of the congregation, and to the heads of the family. If you are not a member of the body of Christ, would encourage you to do that this morning, to come to him knowing that your sins are washed away, that he is the good shepherd that gave his life for the sheep, that we can come to him knowing that he does wash away our sins, that he does take our place. He took the place of our guilt. That's what he means by the sin. We've got to allow him to take the place in our lives so that we get rid of ourselves in the throne of our heart and we place Jesus there. And we need to get the sins out of the way by being baptized and washing away those sins and the power of the blood of Jesus to do that.